Welcome to Lawyers Living Well, a production of the State Bar of Georgia's Attorney Wellness Committee and the Lawyers Assistance Program. Lawyers, this is your resource for all things wellness. It is our goal to encourage you to live well. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Lawyers Living Well podcast. I'm Lynn Garson, Chair of the Lawyer Assistance Program of the State Bar of Georgia, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dawn Jones, current president of the State Bar. Ms. Jones, you are uniquely positioned to comment on wellness in the current times for at least two reasons. You are a former hospital critical care registered nurse, and you are a black woman with a passion for racial justice. Let's start with the latter. So here's my first question to you, and this is a a huge question. You have appointed a standing committee against racism known as the Seeking Equal Justice and Addressing Racism and Racial Bias Committee. The stated initial goals are one, engaging, listening, and learning from all who are willing to share their experiences with bigotry and racism, and two, eradicating bigotry, racism, and racial bias from the administration of justice. Obviously, that's beyond admirable and inspiring. It's not just a tall order, it's a giant order. How do you plan for the committee to accomplish these goals? Thank you for asking that question. I was very excited when I created the committee and it was subsequently voted on by the Board of Governors to establish itself as a standing committee of the bar. I took that overwhelming support to indicate that what I knew to be true was in fact true, that the State Bar of Georgia wanted to affirmatively do something to address what it was seeing, hearing, and feeling over the course of the last several months of protests, repeat of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery videos of their deaths over the news over and over again. They wanted to do something. The goals of that committee effectively are are explained in, in what the committee is named. The reason that it was established, besides the fact that we wanted to do something collectively as a bar, it also, in order to address what clearly is a huge problem, a huge societal, multifaceted, multilayered, centuries old, set of practices, beliefs, norms that have been woven into the very fabric of our society, I wanted to have a cohesive and thoughtful way for our bar to tackle these issues. So to that end, I created this committee, some of the descriptions, some of the goals you've already mentioned, but I wanted it mainly to help us coordinate how we would as a bar as a, as a membership made up of lawyers and judges in the state of Georgia to address the problems and issues that our members were asking us to take on. Dawn, let me ask you a subsidiary question that occurred to me while I was reflecting on the goals of the committee. One of them, as I said, is engaging, listening, and learning from all who are willing to share their experiences with bigotry and racism. So I know that in my firm and in other firms, for example, we have started to have what they call, quote, conversations 
about race. It, it's, I think, similar to what you're talking about, to try to address what's going on, to acknowledge what's going on, to, to try to work with it, work on it. Is that when you say all who are willing to share, how would they share? What, what are people thinking about that? Yes. So that's a good question. Foundationally, it, and I am, very, I am a very concrete thinker, in my mind, it would be difficult to address these issues without first establishing the language that we were all going to use and what that language meant to each of us. We know that as individuals, we don't all carry the same experiences, not between the races and not even between Black people. Every Black person doesn't have the same experiences as it relates to their race and, and the justice system and any inequities or unfairness as a result of that individual being Black may have experienced. We are all very different. So one of the first things I thought about was we need to educate ourselves and each other on what these issues are. We need to understand what it means to use terms like protests, riots, demonstrations, what Black Lives Matter was established to do what each of us brought to the table, what each of us brings to the table, in a lot of ways makes whatever results we come up with helpful. But it, at the beginning, it, it is a bit of a challenge. So to that end, I envision, and, and the committee is working to develop a couple of different programs and efforts, one of which is tentatively called Courageous Conversations, where you have various members of the bar, possibly an, an older, more experienced, more senior member of the bar, with a much younger member of the bar, and they might be of separate, of different races. And having a, con a frank conversation about their experiences and about their thoughts and outlook on what's happening, what the issues are, and how we should address them. Another is to encourage members to participate in self-educating, in providing links to what the committee deems as valid, and responsible resources. There's a lot of information out there in social media. There's a, there are a lot of myths. There's a lot of commentary, but trying to educate in a way that fosters conversation and educates all is part of our focus. And we are also looking to, there are a whole lot of opportunities to be trained in implicit bias in race relations in how to have these conversations, in what racial bias means. And one of the things that is a goal of mine that I've asked the committee to help me with is help me to identify resources that can help us train ourselves to, again, have this conversation to educate ourselves as it relates to racism and racial bias and implicit bias, to have training, hopefully, to involve the executive committee, that's the plan in the near future, that's a short-term goal, and the Board of Governors is another short-term goal, to have them participate in some type of racism or racial bias training, and hopefully to then be advocates in their circuits to provide presentations, to conduct these conversations on the local level throughout the state. That's amazing, and to be in, not in, only in on the ground floor, but you're the person who has made this begin to happen is extraordinary. And of course, this is a long-term project, a very, very long-term project. But the way it begins will shape the way it goes on. And that sounds 
from everything that you've described is, is going to be extraordinary. I could talk about that for a long, long time, but I'm going to ask you my second question, which relates to your work as a nurse. You worked for 14 years as a critical care registered nurse in the hospital ICUs. And I think that makes you extremely qualified to comment on the impact of the persistence of COVID on members of the bar, including tragic loss of life, ongoing social isolation, loss of work, loss of jobs, so much more. I mean, I hear every day from a family, you know, a couple is home, they've got children. Well, who's going to watch the children while I've got the conference call? What are we going to do if too many people need to stream at the same time and we don't have enough bandwidth to support that? You know, the list just goes on and on, and we're now seven months into this. So informed by your background as a CCRN, what are your thoughts on the impact and, you know, the fact that this has persisted for so long? And, of course, we hear, I hear, of the disproportionate impact on the Black community of COVID as well. So whatever thoughts you have on that, please. Sure. I don't think it's a surprising and obviously what I'm sharing are my thoughts and my experiences and my opinions. I am not, nor can I speak for every Black person or every female lawyer or every Black female lawyer in the state. So I want to preface my comments with those statements. Having said that, it's been my experience over the last several months since this has all started that, interestingly enough, the conversations have kind of fallen along even before there started to be statistics about how disparate the impact is and continues to be on infecting, hospitalizing, and killing, it being COVID, black and brown folks. And so even before that started, what I realized early on was I was hearing from friends and family who knew of folks in their circles, black folks in their circles, and brown folks in their circles who were falling ill as a result of COVID. And that was happening early on late March, early April, I had a sorority sister lose her father. That was one of the first instances where I was aware of somebody in my close circle who had lost a close relative. And then I've had other friends who've lost siblings and who've lost other relatives, again, falling along social lines. I'm sorry, racial lines. Along social lines, a number of my clients, some of whom are are Black, We're talking to me as a former nurse. You can imagine the number of people who call me today and have questions and concerns and and want to pick my brain. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate having these conversations. By and large, the conversations I've had with bar members fall along racial lines. The concerns are generally the same, but the practices and what people do with that information is different. One of the things I notice is that Again, from the beginning, I've seen and heard from more black and brown folks who have had intimate experience, whether it's themselves as practicing members of the bar or it's in their immediate circles of folks who've been infected with COVID, who've been hospitalized with COVID and or have died of COVID. I've seen more of those, I've had more of those conversations than I have had with their white counterparts. I've also had conversations that fall along age lines Generally, most of the lawyers, regardless of race I've spoken to, who are 60, 65, 70 years old and older, are looking at it and treating the pandemic the same way. 
they're restricting their contact with others. They're masking at all times when they're not at home. They're not even allowing visitors in their homes. They are washing hands and using hand sanitizer. They're following all of the guidelines that are recommended to a T. And most of them are essentially sheltering in place, regardless of race. But then when you get to the younger group, it does fall along racial lines. I've talked to more younger Black lawyers, most of whom, most of the younger Black lawyers I've spoken with are as concerned as I am about being infected or spreading COVID to others to the extent that they are practicing masking, physical distancing at least six feet apart, not going out where they're, even if they have the opportunity to go out and mingle and meet, and to some extent, not even wanting to eat out or take takeout. I've gotten calls from folks, young folks asking me, should I be wiping down the bags and how risky is it? And then I've had conversations with younger white members of the bar who don't have those same concerns, who following them on Facebook and on social media, who are much more comfortable apparently in meeting and going out. And when I have had conversation with those folks, specifically asking about the socializing and the gathering that I've seen on Facebook and the concerns I have about nobody wearing a mask or very few people wearing a mask, no social distancing, their responses are essentially that they don't know anybody who has been affected, infected, hospitalized, or has died from COVID. And I get that. If, if you don't, I mean, how, how, how real is it for you if you've not seen it infect anybody, regardless of the 189, I don't even know what the number is today, thousand folks who've died or the percentage of cases, I'm talking nationwide, or the percentage of cases in Georgia. It, it is interesting to me that there are some racial differences, but there are also some age differences. And as a nurse, it's all concerning. And it's quite frustrating when I have conversations with members of the bar who are driven by having a conversation about what should be happening, what people should be doing, how they should be responding. When schools are opening and schools are opening and kids don't have to mask up and it's maybe, what, 20, 25, 30 kids in a classroom and they're spread out, but not necessarily consistent following of guidelines and comparing that to trying to have a board of governors meeting with 150 people. Why aren't we having meetings in person? And I've had to have those conversations and continue to expect to have those conversations. What I've seen is, and what's most concerning to me, is that there are more people being vocal about, frankly, regardless of what our current COVID status is in the state, regardless of our positivity rate, regardless of how high our infection rate on a daily basis is and continues to be today, and regardless of how consistent or inconsistent we are in testing, because we can only know who's positive and track that information, who's positive and positivity rates, if we are testing enough folks every day. And I have concerns about that today, about reports that our testing has trended down, which would obviously suggest that just because our positivity rate may be falling and our number of cases each day may be falling, that that might not be reflecting what's actually happening, that we are not necessarily controlling the spread as much as we're just not testing enough people. So we, we're really not capturing all of the information to give us the true numbers. So I have strong feelings as a nurse and as a master's prepared critical care nurse about how disparate the impact is on people of color and how we all are, seems every week, fewer and fewer of us are on the same page 
about what we need to do to control the spread. The definition of public health is that it affects every one of us. So what I do affects you. What you do affects me. And if there, if more and more of us are thinking we individually don't need to follow these guidelines, then all of us collectively are going to be adversely impacted by the decisions that are made from that thought process. Thank you. You know, obviously you are completely an expert on this topic. I noticed as you were talking and and the first question as well, and now with what you've just said, my anxiety level ramping up, you know, a notch, a notch, a notch, another notch. But that's actually a good example of what's happening to people nowadays. Like that's, it's insidious. It's sort of all around you. And then you notice that you've got this level of stress that is pretty high. So what do you do to take care of yourself and maintain stability when that happens to you or when you're isolated and anxious like I just felt? And not to mention the stresses you're under in your role as bar president at this time, which is an unheard of time. I must freely and readily admit (laughs) that I am horrible, horrible in advocating for myself and for my self-care. I routinely leave out myself, making myself a priority on a regular basis when other things need to get done, when other people need help, when when things need to, to be taken care of. And I'd like to blame it on the current role that I have. <laughs> Frankly, it's just kind of been how I practiced, um, even as a nurse. It, it isn't purposeful, but I certainly know, like anyone else, that you have to take care of yourself mentally, physically, and uh, spiritually, and, and socially. And the one thing that I'd always known, I've been active with the bar as a member of the Board of Governors and on the executive committee for over 10 years now. And People used to laugh at me when I said this, but my vacations were the Board of Governors meetings quarterly. They were fun to me. They are fun to me. (laughs) So I've not had a real vacation in many, many years. I think it's good that you're saying this because I really expect that there are more people than we would imagine who are exactly like you are. And everybody's talking about wellness. Everybody's talking about what are your tips and your techniques and, and, you know, which yoga practice do you do and (laughs) and breathing and, and, and all of that. And honestly, to hear from somebody who admits I'm not good at putting myself first, that is not an uncommon trait. So I think it's good that you're acknowledging it. I am, but I know it's, it's, it's a bad thing, but I am, I readily admit that I laughed when you said yoga, because I've had a number of, I've participated in and spoke at a number of CLEs over the last several months. And, and I've participated in a bunch of various bar associated, state bar and local bar, voluntary bar, Zoom meetings and events. And what strikes me over and over is when folks have these conversations, and it's usually just, it's much less formal than this. You know, we're not necessarily, let's talk about how you're doing it. Not even, well, maybe let's talk about how you're doing, but not a, okay, we're going to talk about wellness now. But usually whenever the topic of what are you guys doing to stay healthy comes up, I laugh because there's always folks who are readily providing the, you know, you should be eating right, you should be exercising, you should be doing X, Y, and Z. Yoga's always in there. I laugh because I've never done yoga, but yoga's always in there. And I just laugh because I'm like, none of that's feasible to me. I mean, you just want me to jump out and start, you know, walking five miles a day. 
that's how I receive those kinds of suggestions. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk five miles today. That's no problem. I'm going to fit that right in. I do appreciate, and, and what people need to hear is, I know that it needs to be a priority. And the things I can control and that fit in my schedule are the dietary restrictions, the trying to do, and I'm, do not hold this against me, five, uh, 5,500 steps a day. Those are the goals I've set for myself. But I learned that over the course of this COVID, you know, not much contact with folks except via Zoom, that I've had to adjust my socializing. I need to connect with folks and as a result, I have started to make over the last couple months a priority of at least two or three times a month scheduling Zoom time with friends, trying to squeeze in a happy hour, making up a Zoom happy hour whenever I can. But um, yeah, I readily admit that I fall short all day, every day. But I do know, I do know and appreciate, and that's why I really want to make sure I say out loud, that that's important, that you can't be, I mean, the definition of well-being, right, is it's a condition of being in good health, of being happy, and of being prosperous. And you can't be healthy, happy, and prosperous if you are not physically, spiritually, socially the best you can be. And, and I know that. I know that. And this is a mental stress that, to your point, requires me to really address and assess the things that, that in the past, like I said, you know, in the past, going to bar events quarterly were more than sufficient for my needs uh, of, you know, having some downtime. Well, that's not even happening. All of our meetings are virtual. So I've had to, I'm, I've have, I'm still having to figure out how to deal with the stress and the frustration and the anxiety and the anger. They just reported, although this happened months ago, we see um, now there's a video being played, you know, several times a day, at least, on news outlets of Mr. I think his name last name is Prude. And I purposely I watched it uh, the first time and knowing that he had already died by the time they had him down and put the bag over him, I turned off the TV. Not because I didn't want to see, but because I've seen it. And because I knew what the outcome was. And because it does add to my anxiety. Not just because it is inhumane and, and cruel. It's torture. But because I have nephews, I have brothers, I have a father, I have uncles, and I constantly worry today about how they're treated um, and how they could be treated. It's, it's, it's this new reality of ours, COVID pandemic and the racial injustices, not from the last centuries, but what's happening today. And sometimes it just feels overwhelming. And then we're supposed to go out about our business every day doing the work we're supposed to do for our clients, for our employers, for the public, in spite of all that. Almost like it's not really happening. That's hard sometimes. No, I agree with you. I, I sort of likened it one time when I was talking to somebody that we dropped the, the bomb on Hiroshima, um, now go to work. Right, You know Exactly. I mean, it's like, how do you do that? Exactly. How are you supposed to do that? Right. And everybody doesn't, they're not, they're not supposed to get it, but everybody doesn't understand that. And how I react isn't how the next black attorney um, or black judge reacts to it. But collectively, the conversations I've had, there's this constant sense of just stress and anxiety and exhaustion is the one word that I've heard consistently. And that's the result of everything you're carrying around, everything I'm feeling, I'm carrying around. 
that again, I, I know that to be healthy and to be well, you, you have to address it physically, mentally, you know, spiritually and socially. And I'm working on that. <laughs> I'm working on that every day. Well, if you think you're the only person who falls short of what they think they ought to be doing along those lines, I, I can join you in that. And I know a lot of other people who can join you in that. This leads me into my next question. I wanted to ask, obviously, there are some resources that the state bar offers. And do you think that those resources, which are intended to promote the well-being of our lawyers, are adequate? I mean, just to review, the current resources are the wellness website, the lawyer assistance program, and the peer program. And in case people don't remember, the lawyer assistance program provides six prepaid sessions with a licensed clinical counselor, all confidential. And the peer program is an online matching system that connects peer volunteers with bar members looking for a colleague to give them support for stress, anxiety, depression, addiction, anything, anything at all. Is there anything that you would like to see improved or added to that? So I agree. I don't know if you asked me if it was appropriate or if I thought it was appropriate. Those are all great programs. And those are programs that we should be doing. I remember I've been in, a member of this bar for 20 years. And 20 years ago, going to the annual meetings, we weren't talking about wellness. Um, so I'm grateful as a nurse who understands that if you're not well as a person, you're not functioning well as a lawyer. You can't disconnect those two things. You can't, I, I don't see how you disconnect your personal health with your practice as a lawyer. So to that end, I was very grateful as a member of the Board of Governors to see us at a wellness committee, to see us add a lawyer assistance program, the peer program. We also have committee work in support of lawyer wellness, uh, the wellness committee, which is self-explanatory. Hopefully the senior, I'm probably going to get the name right, but the senior aging lawyer committee also supporting lawyers as they're coming to the end of their practices and, and may need additional help support in various ways and the Solace Committee, uh, among others. So I believe today, in light of what's going on, that, and frankly, understanding to some extent what other, certainly, bars around us are doing as it relates to wellness, I think it's adequate, but there's always room for improvement. At the core of what the bar does, um, we support lawyers and we protect the public. Those are among our, our core mission. And I think that's what we need to continue to do. And to the extent that we have opportunities to add additional programs where we see needs, as we've done in these instances that we just talked about, we should continue to do that. My goal this year, I, I frankly, <laughs> having planned for the last year and then having those plans change in March, um, in April and May and June, certainly included continuing the wellness efforts and the support of lawyers and judges, all of the members of our bar, continues to be a top priority for me. And I'm frankly grateful, and I'm going to give you a shout out and <laughs> Devon Hicks a shout out and a couple other folks a shout out right now, because what I'm really grateful for is other than having conversations like, what are you guys up to? <laughs> you all have really taken the reins. Um, I tried to have a conversation with Javon about my thoughts about the wellness committee's efforts, and she was already out there doing it. And basically, <laughs> yep, that's Siobhan. So, but you too. So do I have any immediate plan? No, because you guys are already doing it. You're already responding to this podcast is just another example of what 
you realized there's a need to do and you did it, fill the need. And, and there didn't really need to be much discussion about it. So to some extent, my job, I think in this regard was just to get out of the way. Number one, to make sure you have what you need to get it done. And two, to get out of the way and make sure I'm not doing anything that's anything but helpful to these efforts because it is more important than ever. I will tell you what I would, one thing I'd like to see, and I'm not sure that I would be pushing it this year, but you asked me, you know, is there anything else? I'd love for us to give more direct support to law students in this state. Ms. Jones, I'm not even going to let you keep going because you're going to break my heart. We can't do that, at least from the lawyer assistance program, as a mandatory bar state. We used to help law students. We are trying desperately to go back and figure out a way to head in that direction. But the interpretation of the law has been that we are not allowed to use bar funds to help law students, at least on the lawyer assistance committee. We are talking about going and presenting programs yeah, they may not be able to use the, the committee and the six prepaid sessions, but we can certainly go talk to them and tell them what it's like to practice law, tell them if they remain in Georgia, what will be available to them. But you are so right. And I'm sorry, I, I sort of hijacked what you're no, saying. That's okay. I completely hijacked what you're saying. It actually starts before law school, right? but right. definitely in law school. And there's a tremendous need, and I wish we could fill it. So that, and let me be clear, because um, I need the listeners to understand that, that your current state bar president understands what her limitations are as it relates to what bar rules allow us to do and not to do. That was a wish list idea. Oh, okay. So let me be clear. You asked me what I'd like to do. <laughs> okay, okay. And if I was able to, just to be clear, yeah. I understand we, that would have been a discussion this year. I will say there are opportunities to support law students. It is in the, the ways of the Georgia Diversity Program and making sure that there's some component. There are programs that the State Bar of Georgia currently participates in that supports law students that are within our rules. It's not necessarily that we're giving them six sessions, but to the extent that whatever programs we have involving, inviting, having law students participating in, that we make sure to give them an opportunity to discuss a wellness component, a health and wellness component, to give them information, that's low-hanging fruit. And I also think that's already being done. Mm -hmm. But I do. I mean, there are other bars, and I understand, and I've understood for years, that it's not, we're not able Uh, to directly support folks who are not, frankly, our members. They have a membership opportunity in the bar, but they don't have, without putting too much out there about law students, but, but I clearly understand the bar rules and how the work we need to do, we're focused on doing, and that we will continue to do and plan to do in the future are within a certain lane. There are restrictions. I understand and know that my wish is that we could do that. And and that's the only thing I think right now that is a need as a bar that if I had my wishes that we would be serving, but we are Um, with the local involuntary bars, with the committee to promote inclusion and profession, whenever they have a law student or law school related event, I know they are having these discussions and providing education and informational topics related to wellness. 
Yeah, I'm laughing at myself and wondering if we can delete the part where I acted like you don't know the bar rules. I'm not, <laughs> okay. I'm, is there a way to just Only delete that part? Um, I know. Yeah, I just had a knee-jerk reaction. That that is a sure, issue. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I apologize. I would never. I am. I was not offended, but I needed folks to know who were listening. I knew that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, they may not hear it because I may successfully get it deleted. We'll see. Um, do you have any other thoughts that you'd like to share with us? You know, one thing I would say is, as we're out here practicing and trying to figure out, I've heard this said many times before I went to law school, going to law school, you never know what someone else is going through. I think today, more than ever, giving people the benefit of the doubt, not knowing if they've lost someone to COVID, not knowing if they themselves are dealing with an infection and a quarantine at home or dealing with a child or a spouse who's infected and quarantined at home, not knowing how they're coping with not just the images. I mean, it, it is certainly visible and at the top of the discussion nationally, social injustice, racism, racial bias, systemic racism, driven largely by what's being shared for those who maybe were not aware or were not convinced or just didn't know. But for those who've experienced it their entire lives, for those who have seen it, for those who have witnessed it firsthand in the workspace, in their personal lives, in relationships, in friendships, give people the benefit of the doubt. Most of us, by and large, are very private people. And you would have no idea what folks were going through. It broke my heart when Chadwick Boseman died. It really broke my heart to think about years of suffering stage three and stage four colon cancer, which you can imagine how painful, if not just uncomfortable, dealing with it, going through the surgeries, multiple surgeries reportedly, and chemotherapies, multiple reportedly, everything he had endured, how physically he had to work as an actor and producing, I believe, I think I heard seven, if I'm correct, six or seven movies in four years. Yeah, yeah. I think it was, and obviously Black Panther being the one right, that I think right. might be best known. Right, Yeah. huge. So it says something to me that someone was so tough and so persevering and frankly so dedicated, just getting it done and doing an excellent job of getting it done while also not letting anybody know of anything he was going through. That spoke to me. And I know that there are folks out there, because I've spoken to them, who have medical conditions, psychological conditions, concerns about being isolated socially. Two things I'd say to them, besides everybody else in this, you know, all of us are going through something, but all of us need to hear and remember constantly, we don't know what each of us is going through. Give each other a break, give each other the benefit of the doubt. But to those folks who are suffering silently, talk to someone. Talk to someone. Don't carry that burden by yourself. Don't carry that burden alone. One of the things I'm grateful for is that the State Bar of Georgia understands that we as lawyers, as judges, as members of this bar, we've got to take care of each other. We've got to take care of each other. That's required of us. 
you know, you take me back to the peer program again with the idea of caring for each other. Uh, sometimes you want to go see a therapist, but there are times when you just want to talk to somebody who understands where you've been, how it feels, has walked not in your shoes exactly, but understands. So I think that that's a great, great thing to wrap up with. And also the idea of not being so judgmental, give people the benefit of the doubt. I can always use a reminder of that. And hopefully, well, hopefully I am the only one, but probably not. Ms. Jones, thank you. Thank you for your time today. I hope you and yours continue to stay safe and well. It gets harder and harder, I know, and everybody's got tremendous burdens. But as we've discussed, it's up to us to take care of each other. I hope everybody listening also stays safe and well. And please join us again for another episode of the Lawyers Living Well podcast. Hi, I'm Lynn Garson, Chair of the Lawyer Assistance Program. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lawyers Living Well. If you need immediate confidential help, call the LAP hotline at 1-800-327-9631. That's 1-800-327-9631. You can also visit lawyerslivingwell.org for more wellness resources through the State Bar of Georgia. That's lawyerslivingwell.org. We hope you can join us next time.